0: As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's Word. Amen. If we had hope only in this life, the Bible said we'd be of all men most miserable. And when it said that, you know, I've always, when as a younger man, especially, I thought, you know, that's kind of an odd thing to say. I mean, because the truth is, even if uh, I, I just think living for Jesus is the best thing there is, even in this life. You see what I'm saying? It's not like I'm living a miserable life and then one day things will be good again. You know what I mean? Like, I, I enjoy living for the Lord. Amen. Uh, the way of a transgressor is hard. Someone who chooses to live their life in sin and in rebellion to the joy of the Lord will find themselves in multiple points of life where life becomes almost unbearable the longer they live. Amen, that's just true. Because difficult days come for every single living soul. But for someone who has the Lord, they have a resource of joy, of hope, of peace that someone who does not know the Lord cannot understand. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that there aren't difficult days. Amen. To say... Anything else would be disingenuous. There are difficult days. Amen. But when you are saved, you have a hope that is beyond what is here. Amen. So why are you saying all this? I'm saying this because here's the truth. There is a remedy for everything wrong with this earth, and it's Jesus Christ. All the, all the, all the dissatisfaction and the sorrow and, and people searching for something to fulfill them, there's a simple answer, and it's the Lord Jesus. And we have that answer. Amen. Are you all with me this morning? On uh, Wednesdays, we've been in the book of Ephesians, and Paul said it, that God had given him the grace, the least of all, less than the least of all saints, that he might preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do we believe that Jesus really is the best thing that ever happened to us? But like, do we really believe that? I know we say that, but do we believe that? Do we believe that the Lord is the answer? He's the remedy. He's the balm in Gilead. That is the answer for all the world's problems. Amen. One day He's going to step out, and when He does, He's going to step out on a throne, and He's going to take things by the reins. And when He does, He's going to improve everything. He's going to show them all. Y'all, if you all had just listened to me from the beginning, we wouldn't have these problems. Amen. There is a solution to all the problems we have. It doesn't mean it's a magic fix. It just means that He has the answer. The solution for your eternal destination, He has the answer for that. The solution for sorrow, He has the answer to that. The solution for, for parting and death, well, He took the keys of death and hell. He defeated death and the grave, and now death has no sting for a Christian. Yeah, it hurts a little over here, but one day all that pain will disappear in a great reunion over there. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 9 this morning. Let me say thank you for being here. Amen. Each one of you that's here, it means a lot to me that you're here. Amen. I know it means a lot to some other folks here, but when I stand up here and I look out over the crowd, uh, and you know, when we go around and shake hands and all those things, I, whether I'm mean to or not, I, I, I notice who's here and who's not here. If someone's not here, I notice. You know, I, I see their spot in the church empty and And I worry, and I'm like, well, I hope everything's okay. And, you know, I know Brother Tim would rather be here than where he is right now, getting called into work. And and when you're not here, I miss you not being here. And I know I'm not fussing at you for not being here. I'm saying thank you for being here. Amen. It is good to see you. And it gives me joy to know that you have come looking for something from God. Because let me tell you the truth. I don't have anything great to give you, but God does. And My prayer is that He would use me to deliver something from Him. In Sunday school this morning, I I got to teach Brother Tim's class and we talked about how that children are a gift from God and that God gave them to me for a time to care for them, to love them, and to raise them for Him. And I'll just say every good thing that we have is from God. And if you walk out of here this morning with anything good, it's going to be from Him. Amen? Luke chapter number 9. In the book of Luke here, much has already taken place during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the chapter, he is given a... uh, a charge for the disciples, and and here in verse, I want to look in verse number 37 this morning and read a few verses here of a, of an account of a miracle that the Lord Jesus performed. Uh, I remember sometime as a young man reading through this passage, and, and a certain verse jumped out at me, and it has returned to my mind and heart many times through the years, and this morning as I was uh, praying about what to preach, the Lord brought that statement to my mind again, that phrase, and we're going to look at it and give you just a couple things to think about, hopefully. Uh, We won't be long this morning, just give you what the Lord has and we'll head home. Uh, But in Luke chapter 9, verse number 37, let's read together. The Bible says, "...it came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again." and bruising him, hardly departeth from him." He was being tortured by this evil spirit. "...and I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not." And Jesus answering said, "'O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither.' And as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him, and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father." Verse 30, uh, 43. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered every one at all these things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Verse 45. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them, that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. As I said, up to this point, many things have taken place and and the disciples have even set about performing miracles in the name of the Lord. God has given them the power to do that. And we know that. The Lord even told them at one point not to rejoice because the spirits were subjected unto them, but rather because their names were written in heaven. And and we quote that because it's a blessing because there's nothing in life more uh, rejoicing worthy, more joyful than knowing that your name is written in heaven and that heaven will be your home according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing There's nothing more peaceful than that understanding uh, because it means that no matter what happens, you have victory in the end. Amen. But that verse also tells us that the spirits were subjected unto them. They went around casting out spirits and devils and demons. And I'm not, I'll tell you this. I do believe in a spiritual warfare. Amen. I do believe in spiritual attacks in the world we're living in right now. I think there are evil and unclean spirits that are influencing people all across the world. The Bible says that the devil is the prince of the powers of the air and that he has an effect on princes and principalities and powers and all those things, but not today like it was during that day. During the day when Jesus walked the earth, there was an increase in evil spiritual activity to the point that there were children literally being foaming at the mouth and tearing themselves like literally, like the man, the maniac of Gadara, breaking chains I've never seen anything like that. I mean, there was an increase in evil spiritual activity during that day for the purpose that God would be glorified through Jesus and His disciples casting out those devils. It was a proof of prophecy and a proof of the power of God. So those things were going on, and the disciples were even doing that. But in this case, by just by introduction, we can see first the company of men that come to Him in verse 37. There's a number that says, Much people met Him as He's coming down. He's been talking to His disciples and giving some instruction, and these people all come around, and, and and I believe they were probably there hoping to see some kind of miracle. People would come from afar to see the Lord. People who needed help would come to Him, but others would just gather because, I'll tell you, cat, performing miracles draws a crowd. You know, you start casting out devils and healing the sick and feeding the 5,000 with just a couple fish and loaves of bread, people show up say, well, What's going on? I've heard about this Jesus. So a company of men came to Him, and then we see the cry of a man in verse 38, which says, Behold... A man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is my only child. So in all this crowd, one man cries out. And we don't have an account of anyone else crying out. Now, that's possible that there were other people who were yelling out certain things. But in the midst of all those people, there was one man who cried out to the Lord, and he got the Lord's attention. So much that it was, it was accounted here in the Gospels. This man cried out, My son, will you look on him? And then he gives the cause of the matter in verse 39, that the boy is uh, taken by a spirit... He suddenly crieth out, It teareth him that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. This boy is being tormented and essentially torn and destroyed from the inside out by this unclean spirit that's in him. He is foaming at the mouth. He is tearing at himself. He is throwing himself down. I mean, crazy stuff, right? Then we see the the criticism from the master in verse 40 because the man says, "I, I even brought him to your disciples in verse 40, and they could not cast him out. Now I told you the disciples have men casting out devils. But for whatever reason, their faith was not enough to cast out this devil. And that is the the Lord's criticism and indignation in verse 41, where He says, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? And suffer you, bring thy son hither. And by saying they were faithless, He said, the reason they couldn't cast out this devil is because they did not believe. Right? That was the power of God that that God had given them was in their faith. And it's a parallel passage in Matthew 17 and Mark 9. The Lord explains further, saying, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And that very simply was to teach them this lesson. Not everything is easy. Amen. Not everything in the work of God is easy. That's not my message this morning. But I'll tell you, sometimes when you need God to make a big move, you're going to have to show God how serious your faith is. Amen. That their faith was only as far as they walked up and they expected to just... Cast out the devil in however form or fashion they would do that. And when it didn't work, they said, well, I don't know. It just didn't work out this time. But Jesus said what they should have done is they should have immediately gone and prayed and fasted and sought God to do a bigger work than what they could do. Amen. That's a good lesson to learn this morning. But this is the criticism from the master. But then we see the care of the master in verse 42 where he then said, as he was yet a coming, as the boy... And the, the master, the, the man, the father was standing there coming toward him. As, as the Lord Jesus is going toward, as they're coming toward one another, suddenly uh, the devil inside the boy, and that's little d, it's not the Satan. It's not Satan. It's a, it is an unclean spirit that is inside this boy. It said it threw him down and tear him. Now, I don't really know exactly how that would look. But he didn't stumble over a rock. He was thrown down, which means it was not the force of gravity, but it was an intense spiritual force that threw him down and then tear him. That sounds like it's wounding him, right? I I mean, when you think about something being torn, you you think like a beast, like ravaging an animal, like tearing it apart with claws, right? That the Lord sees this happening. I mean, this is a A horrible thing to see and all this crowd is around the man's father the the boy's father is there and the the boy is down on the ground and the Lord Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit first then he heals the child secondly and then he delivers him to his father which means uh, by the way the Lord doesn't do anything halfway the man asked the Lord to get rid of the devil inside the boy he did but he didn't just rebuke the unclean spirit out of him but then he healed him of the damage that the spirit had done to him the Lord healed it, and the boy was as good as new, and then he brought him to his father. Because guess what? Jesus cares. He cares about what is ailing us. He cares about what is wrong with you. Did you know that? Young people, you're facing things today that I did not face at your age. You're dealing with things in your home that I might not have dealt with in my home. You're dealing with things at school that I might not have dealt with at school, and maybe I can't understand. Maybe your parents can't understand. Maybe maybe your friends don't understand. But I can tell you right, right now, there's one person who understands and cares, and that is the Lord Jesus. Amen. You need to tell Him all your cares. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. There is no one who will ever love you like Jesus loves you. Don't forget that. Because the longer you live, there are going to be some days where you wake up in the morning and think, does anybody really care about me? Anybody here this morning ever woke up and thought that? Does anybody really care about me? I don't have anybody who's really here for me. I don't have anybody who really understands me. Can I tell you something right now? There's someone who does. The Lord Jesus does. Don't ever forget that. The care of the master was so big and so wonderful that not only did he cast out the devil, but then he healed the boy. And then we see in verse 43, and this is where I want to text my text this morning, we see the confounding of the multitude. And here's what it says. And they who, the crowd, the big crowd of people, the multitude, the the word used here is much people met him. Sometimes we know that much was in the thousands. Other times maybe it was just in the dozens or the hundreds or or whatever it was that would gather at the foot of this mountain, this hill. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. And in the middle of verse number 43, you'll notice after that statement is made, there's a period. You see that? That means it is one simple, direct statement, even in the middle of the verse. And it went on to give us some more detail, but there, right there it said this, and they were all amazed at the mighty power of God, period. And when we see that period in the Word of God, we need to stop. That's what a period does. It says, this is the end of the sentence, the end of the statement. Now, there may be more attitude after that, and you can go and read it, but when there's a period, you should pause. You just pause and stop and look. And what's it say? And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. That word amaze, it means to confound with fear, sudden surprise, or wonder. And if you go on and read the next couple of verses, it says, or the next couple of words, it says, But while they wondered everyone. So there's that word wonder tying it in. The idea of amazement, it is, it is to confound with fear, sudden surprise, or wonder, it is to astonish. Astonishment or wonder arising from something extraordinary, something unexpected, something unaccountable, or even frightful. Now, I would say they saw some frightful things when that boy was thrown down in front of them and torn by an evil spirit. I would be frightened. I know the Lord, and I believe I'm saved, but if I saw that happening, I'd probably take a a few steps this way, right? Whoa! You know what I mean? Like, step back. I mean, frightful. But not just something frightful did they see, and they, if that is all they had seen, then no doubt they would have went home amazed by the frightful thing they had seen and said, you will not believe what we saw happen today. There was an, an evil spirit that threw this boy down. He began to tear him. His phone it was the craziest thing. But their amazement went from frightful to Wonder. And that wonder was as the Lord spoke up, and with his mouth it said, he rebuked, I believe is the word that it used. Uh, is that the word that it used in verse 43? Let's see. Yes, verse 42. He rebuked the unclean spirit, which is saying, get out of here, get out of him. And he did, and then he went to the boy, and all the, all the damage done by that spirit, he then healed it, and all, they were all, the word said all, A-L-L, they were all amazed. They were shocked. They stood back and thought, whoa. You ever said, whoa? Wow. I mean, saw something amazing. Have you ever seen anything amazing? You ever seen anything just like, oh, that was crazy, right? Something in the world, something in life. And when it's done, you're like, wow. I mean, just awestruck. And that's what they were. They were awestruck by the Lord Jesus. And specifically, it said this, The mighty power of God. The multitude gathered around the Lord after seeing what He could do. They were amazed. And let me just say this. That was the proper response. They should have been amazed. Because God is amazing. They should have been amazed because God is amazing. He is wondrous. He is powerful. And His being, His person, who He is, observing what He has done, who He is, and how He is, it ought to elicit an emotional response in us. I know there are a lot of of church folk, I'll say a lot, there are some church folk who want to point fingers and say, well, we're all just trying to be emotional and we need to stop trying to be so emotional. But I would submit to you that God is emotional. Amen. And God has made us in His image. And if it's okay for us to get emotional about anything and everything else in the world, why would it not be okay or even right or proper to be emotional about God, who He is, and what He has done? In fact, I would go as far as to say it is shameful if we will get emotional about a touchdown or a buzzer-beating goal, but we won't get emotional about the God who created the universe. Amen. Our perspective is off when it comes to amazement. We'll go see a movie, and we'll see something crazy in a movie and go, wow, whoa, right? We'll see some, like, like I said, in a sports event or, or something like that, and we'll say, wow, it was amazing. And, we'll, and, and you know, and it'll, be, it'll go viral. People doing crazy stuff, tricks and trick shots and different things. And all that stuff is fine and fun and well. But what is wrong, not just with the world, but with God's people? When we are amazed with anything and everything, but we are never amazed with God. Because I submit to you this morning, God was amazing then and He is amazing now. He is still amazing. God is still amazing. He is still awe-inspiring. He is still filled, he will still fill us with confounded surprise and confounded wonder and astonishment. Have you ever seen God in your life or in the life of someone you know or love do something that you thought would never happen? Because I have. You ever seen that hard case that you thought no one could reach, get saved, and see the change in their life? Have you ever seen God take someone from absolutely nothing, just say, Pauper with nothing to show in their life, and then make out of them some great work for God. Have you seen God do wondrous things in your life? Have you forgotten about those things? As they stood by, many of them, by the way, not even believing that He was who He said He was, could not help but when they saw the great, wondrous things that He was doing, be amazed. They were amazed. He is still amazing this morning. He, let's talk about quick the, the purpose for their amazement. Why, why would they be so amazed and why should we be so amazed? What is it about God that all awe-inspiring, that is amazing? First, His might is amazing. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, the Bible says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is amazing. Thine, thy's is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and, and honor come of thee. Thou reignest over all, and in thy hand, it says this, in thine hand is power and might. In thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. God's might is amazing. I think sometimes because we hear God is love and and God is a gentleman, and and God is kind, and God is long-suffering. By the way, all of those things are true. We forget how big He is. He's so big that Jesus said that, that we are in His hand, His Father's hand, and none can pluck them out of His hand. That means the whole world is in the palm of God's hand. And we think, oh, well, you know, He's just God. No, no, no. He is a mighty God. He is a powerful God. He is an incredible God, an unknowable God. There is none like Him. And for us to go around thinking He's just old hat is a failure. We should be amazed. We should stop occasionally. You know, there's a lot of people in the world who don't even know the Lord and they spend time walking around in nature in awe of nature. You know, we ought to do that. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Without Him who, the Lord Jesus, John, once said, was not anything made that was made. That means all the... You know, we think about science, and and we think about science as sort of antithetical to God, but it's not. Properly viewed and properly interpreted science will line up with the Word of God. You do not have to be a Christian and reject science. You can believe science because science, when it agrees with the Word of God, gives God glory. You look at at the, the creation of a cell. You look at the creation... You look at atoms and photons and neutrons and electrons, and you look at the way all that works. You look at the balance of life on the earth. I mean, on the edge of a knife, one way to the left or the right, by a few degrees coming from the sun, and we could wipe out all of living on the whole earth. And yet God has established everything, and Hebrews said He upholds all things by the word of His power. That means that God is so big and so strong that when he created the earth and he created the planets and the heavens, as the Bible calls them, he set them in their place and they do exactly what he told them to do. And they won't stop doing it until he tells them to. Amen. Because he's that big. He is amazing in his might, his might is amazing, his majesty is amazing, his, his holiness, His deity. He is God, He is the Word, He is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter number 6, I'll tell you, Isaiah got a good look. And I can't wait to share and have that same look. But in Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1, He said this, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. You know what the train of a king was in those days? Sometimes historically it is said... That the train of the, and you know what that train is? It, it is, just, it's like a cloak that falls behind him. And that train would have patches that represented the different kingdoms and the different enemies that they had defeated at times historically. Now, I'm not saying this is exactly what that was, but I will tell you this: if they were to take a patch or a section or a part of a train and apply it to the train of the king of kings, everything would be on it. There would be a patch for death, a patch for hell, a patch for sin, a patch for the flesh, a patch for the devil, a patch for every enemy. And it said this His train filled the temple. That means it was so large that it filled the temple. You know what that means? Very simply this He's never fought a battle and lost. Amen. He's never faced an enemy he couldn't defeat, he's never faced a problem he couldn't overcome because he is majestic. And He is wonderful, and He is a counselor, and He's a prince of peace, and a king of kings. And He is amazing. That's who He is. You know why I can't understand a Christian falling out of their faith? Because Christ is so amazing. Amen. He is so good, and so big, and so mighty, and so majestic. There's nothing else that will ever be what He is. There's nothing else that will ever fulfill like He fulfills. He's the greatest thing that there is. It's Him. He's majestic. His might is amazing. His majesty is amazing. His mind is amazing. In Luke chapter 2, verse 46, he came to pass after three days as, his, as Jesus was 12 years old. And they lost him, lost track of him there. And said so they found him after three days in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. You see that? Who? The scribes, the Pharisees, the, the, the most intelligent men... In all of uh, Jerusalem at that time, sitting there amongst the doctors, were hearing and answering questions. And here's the Lord Jesus hearing them. He's asking them things. And they are astonished at His answering and His understanding. And when His parents saw Him, they were amazed. His mother said, Son, why hast Thou dealt with us? How, why hast Thou dealt why, uh, thus dealt with us? Excuse me. Behold, thy father, and I sought thee sorrow. And He said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wish you not that I must be about my father's business. As a 12-year-old boy, Landon, are you 12 or 13? 13. Younger than Landon. No offense to Landon, smart young man. But if I were to take you to theological seminary and sit Landon down amidst all of the doctors, right? The smartest, most religious, and well-educated men in all the world, I'm not sure that even with Landon's firm understanding of the Word of God that he could confound them, that he could astonish them and them go. He's asking them questions. Well, what do you think about this? Well, this is what I think. And they're going. You know why? You know why they were astonished? Because his mind is not like anybody else's mind. Isaiah saw him high and lifted up as a king over all things with his train filling the temple. But those scholars and doctors and the smartest of all the world and the things of God during that time in the law sat there with a young 12-year-old boy and they were astonished. Why? He knew things they didn't know. He understood things they didn't understand. Y'all understand that the Bible was not in every home. They did not have the completed canon of Scripture here as we're reading in the book of Luke chapter 2. They didn't have you know, a King James 10 King James Bibles in the house from over the years. You know what they had? They had scriptures of the prophets, and they had scriptures of the Torah and things like that, and they had them where the scribes were. They didn't have copies in every house. They had to go to the tabernacle, go to the temple, and hear the priests get up and, and give those things. And here's this 12-year-old boy who no doubt does not have a Bible at home. Problem is, he is the Word of God. And he starts telling them things, and they're astonished, I have no doubt, because of his understanding, but i said they're probably astonished because they're like, how, does he even, how did he even know about that verse? Where do he hear that? Does he have access to the, to, the, to the Scriptures? Does he have access to things we've got? Is he, has he read all the, the, the letters we have from Daniel? Does he have all the, the chronicles we have from, from David and the kings? Where is he reading all this stuff? Because here's the thing. He was the Word of God with a mind like no one they'd ever met at a 12-year-old boy. Man, they were astonished because he's astonishing. The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. He can see further and understand more. Don't ever think you know more than Him. You don't. No one ever has. Amen. His mind is amazing. His might is amazing. His majesty is amazing. His mercy is amazing. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 6 says this, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. So what does that mean? Well, it says, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Here's what that means. Occasionally, for for a righteous man, I mean, rarely somebody might would give their life for them. Yet, peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. For a good man, for someone who is loved and beloved, someone who is kind and someone who all around them would say, well, they're a good man. peradventure, some would dare to die for them because they're good. Right? But God commendeth. That means He proved, He established, He put it out before us. He commendeth His love toward us. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. His mercy is amazing because He died for us when we were unlovable. He died for us when we were yet in our sins. Let me go a step further. He saved us. Knowing that even after... Now, He died for us. Then He saved us. And He saved us knowing that even after we had been saved, we would then go on and trample underfoot, as the Bible says, the grace of God. What does that mean? Like a dog returneth to his vomit. Those things He saved us from. Those things He forgave us from. We would then go... Slip back into those same sins. Amen. Yet, His mercy endureth forever. It is one thing to say that someone is a God. It's another thing to say that they would forgive any sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That God would come down, I mean, we just read there in Isaiah chapter 6, His glory, His train, His majesty filled the temple. And around Him there are angelic beings covering their eyes, covering their feet and flying and chanting, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And Jesus left that. Why? To come here to die. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the leper, he helped everyone he came across, he taught them the things they needed to hear, he told them about God, he showed them God to himself, but the reason he came was to die a criminal's suffering bloody death. Why? For a bunch of sinners. As they stood by casting lots for his robes, he prayed for them, Father forgive them, for they know not what they do. But literally, He said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm seeking for those who are sick, because those who aren't sick have no need of physician. He came to heal the sick, the sin-sick. He came to reach those. His mercy is amazing. Now, how many songs do we sing? Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Right, we sing that? Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. There's a song I'll sing sometime. I can't even think of the name of it right now. Uh, But the, the chorus says, "If if you could see what I was before, then you'd know why I love him so." Have we forgot? I think sometimes we get saved and we live for God, and you know we we get an image of ourselves, and this is it. Without the big water stain on my back, this is it, right? Looking sharp and going to church, and you know, this this is me. But it's not. It's not. Heard someone say recently, I don't know what it was on, they said, you wouldn't want to be judged on your worst day, would you? No. Would you? I wouldn't want anybody to make an assessment about who I was based on my worst day. But guess what? That's exactly how it is with God. Because how you are, how, the worst you've ever been, that's who you are. If we're being honest, that's who you are. That is the level of depravity that you will allow yourself to go to when you let go, right? That's why the idea that inside of us is all actually really a good person is a straight-up lie from Disney. The truth is this. The heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That inside of me, that in my heart, the truth is, the things I want are evil. I don't know one. If God were to, just a moment, put a weird spiritual power in here, and we could all hear one another's thoughts for 15 minutes, would anybody ever look at you the same way? Let's be honest. I don't think God's, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't think I could keep pastoring the church if I heard my thoughts for 30 minutes. Because the truth is, inside of me, there is a darkness of sin that I, unlike Paul, am constantly battling. Are you? I'm just being honest with you. Are you? So, next time you walk by the mirror and you've got your suit coat on or you've got your nice, whatever kind of floral Hawaiian shirt that is, Brother Cameron's wearing this morning, and it's nice. You think, you know what? I'm having a good hair day. And then, (laughs) not Cameron, obviously. Although he did say we all need to shave our heads, and I'm like, no. But you know, and then you step outside and it's coming to monsoon, right? And all you laters are like, oh, I straightened my hair for 45 minutes this morning. When you get that image, do yourself a favor. Stop and think. Is that really me? That's not me. That's what I want to be. That's what I want God to make me to be. But the truth is, I am the least and less than the least of all the saints. Like Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. And if I'll just keep that in my mind, then I'll say the same thing that Paul said. That God would give me the grace that I might preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you know what those unsearchable riches are? The first thing that those unsearchable riches are in my life, and they're abundant. But you know what the the best thing about God is in my life? It's His mercy. It's that His compassions fail not. And that even though I I drag His name through the mud, and even though I fall on my face, and even though I'm a failure, He loves me. And He He brings me in. And He He disciplines me. And He says, don't do that. And I never need to get to a place that I am not amazed that God would use me. That He would save me. That He would love me. That He would give me a a godly wife and and children and a home. and, And that God would bless me. That He would give me one more good day based on the way that I've treated Him. We should never, if anybody on all the earth and in all of existence should ever be amazed at Him, it's you and me. Because He is amazing. His mercy is amazing that He would save us and He would bless us. What an amazing God who loves us so greatly that when He saw us on our worst day, He said, I would die for that sinner. Amen. He is still... Amazing. I need to close. He's still amazing. The purpose for amazement is that His might is amazing. His majesty, His mind his mercy. The product of His amazement is this, that when we see Him for who He really is, it should produce certain things in us. Luke chapter 5 and verse 26 says this, and they were all amazed, and then this, and they glorified God... And we're filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Seeing the Lord Jesus and God for who they really are, the Holy Spirit for who He really is, it will cause us, it will elicit, I told you it would elicit an emotional response in, in being amazed at who He is, but then that amazement should then cause us to react appropriately. To react appropriately, would to, it would be to produce different actions. It will affect what we do, that we would worship Him, right? like the psalmist said in Psalm 107 repeatedly, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. That God would be so good to us and He would bless us that because of that, it should produce praise. It should produce worship. Praise up here and worship down here saying, Oh God, thank You, Lord, that You would save a wretch like me. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That we would praise Him and worship Him. When we go day to day, and we do not praise Him, and we do not worship Him, and we do not glorify Him, we are not amazed. Amen. That's a fact. It will produce worship in us. It will produce a work in us. Like Colossians 3 verse 23 said this, Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. But here's the truth. Most of the time we are concerned with what men will think about what we are doing and not so much about what God thinks about it. But when we are amazed with who He is, then He is constantly on our minds. And whatever we do, as the Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Do it heartily, as Paul said in Colossians. It means this, do it like God's watching. Because guess what? He is. He sees. He sees. His mind is everywhere at once. He is omnipresent, omnipowerful. He is omniscient. He knows it all. He is omnipotent. He he, he sees everything. He knows everything. He understands everything. And the product of amazement is that it will produce these actions in us. It'll produce different attributes. It'll change who you are. Living with an amazement at God will change who you are. It'll make you see the world differently the way you walk, the way you talk, your willingness to serve God, your willingness to do things for God, that we should live gratefully and thankfully with a heart of worship that if God is as good and as big and as wonderful as He is, then I want to live my life for Him. It'll affect just how we are on a daily basis. Amen. It'll affect the things you say, the places you go, the people you're with. That's the product of amazement. Let me close quickly. The problem with amazement is this. There's just little of it anymore. And I say that of myself. We get, into a, we get into a groove, don't we? Life is busy. Busy, busy, busy. Gone to my sister-in-law's wedding this weekend, saw a lot of people I hadn't seen in a while, and catching up, friends, family members, people you know. And, and you think, man, you know, we, we should catch up sometime. Text me, we'll go grab a bite to eat sometime or something like that. Y'all ever do that? run into family or friends, and the truth is you think, I'm, I'm going to do that. But then you don't. Because we're busy. we're Busy, busy, busy. Go, go, go. That's the life we live. And when we live that life, there is a tendency, there is a, there is a, a weakness in us that we also become too busy to be amazed at who God is. We even make ministry a part of our busyness. When really... Our ministries should be filled with worship and wonder. At what a... Amen. Well, i got go to gotta go to that meeting this weekend, you know. I don't really want to do it, but I guess I'm going to have to. That is not the attitude of someone who is in wonder at who God is. The attitude of someone who is in wonder at God, the way God is would say, you know what? Yeah, I'm tired. i got a lot going on, but you know what, man? I sure am glad that God has put me in this life where I, I get to go be a part of those things and do those things because... I could be so far away from God, and yet He has drawn me near. Amen. Are y'all seeing that? The problem with amazement is when we fail to be amazed. We begin to see God as just, well, it's just, there's no There's no admonishment. We fall into secret sins and little sins, and we just keep going with them, keep going with them, keep going with them. The preacher preaches, we don't change our ways. The Sunday school teaches a lesson, we don't change our ways. We read our Bible, and it, con- it condemns our sin, we don't change our ways. And we just keep living in a constant state of having unrepentant sin. Oh, but uh, thank God for the Lord Jesus, amen. Well, if we're living with wonder, then our hearts will be admonished, amen. And when sin is in our lives the Lord will reveal it to us. And if we are living in amazement of Him, and we understand His might, well, we want to repent from sins. Because we know that he is, he is also a righteous judge. Right? Amen. Amazement will cause us to live a more holy lifestyle. And that's just a fact. Amazement will, will also cause us to have astonishment that, we, that what we expected from Him is our problem when, we, when God does something big. We come in and we we have a song singing and and the Lord moves and you'll see people with their hands raised or someone goes to the altar and the Spirit of God blows through and, and and, and we just have a sweet Spirit of God in here and we think, man, you know, well, that's good. You know, it's a Sunday morning service. No, no, no. Be astonished that He would come by and bless you and speak to your heart. He would give you joy. Be astonished. When we're not amazed, there's no admonishment, there's no astonishment, there's no adoration. What love we would have for Him if we could see Him for who He truly is. Like we did when we got saved. Like we did when our children got saved. Like we did when God, like them standing outside watching that boy, when we saw God do that miraculous thing, when we saw God heal that person, or when we felt God go with us through a dark and difficult day and hold our hands through our greatest sorrows, that in those moments we were amazed at the goodness of God. But now, have we just begun to see Him as old hat? Or are we still amazed? Because let me tell you what hasn't changed. God. He is still amazing. It doesn't mean there aren't hard times. It doesn't mean that there aren't busy times. It doesn't mean there aren't difficult and sad and sorrowful times. But He is still God. He is still amazing. And we must still... Worship Him in the spirit and in truth. We must still see Him for who He is and we must still adore Him. Here in His love, John said, not that we've loved Him, but that He has loved us. Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things of old. Those things that you've heard about God. Those things that you've seen from God. Those things that you know about God. The things that you've forgotten about God. For I am God and there is none else. I'm God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. This morning as we stand, and Miss Brandy, you come on up to the piano please, I want you to understand this very simple fact. The Lord Jesus, God is still amazing. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon. And we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord.